0: Welcome to the naked truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Genesis chapter nine. So let's begin with verse one. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So now you see this is yet again, the whole command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why would he need to give that to um Noah, because it wasn't given to Noah before. It's been given to the creations on chapter one of chapter one, which are generally, which scientifically I'd say are called one species of man. Maybe Neanderthal, maybe Homo erectus, maybe some other one. But there's at least four or five different species. Then you see the command to be fruitful and multiply given again to the creation, the species, whatever you want to call it by science or by religion. If it's by religion, chapter one's creations would probably be called the creation of the angels. If you're going by a religion for chapter two, it'd be human, humankind, but that's also, you know, truly it's just another species, Adam and such. And then we went on with the others with, in previous readings. Um, but you see now Noah, his generation has been given that same command to be fruitful and multiply as he's, they are the only ones to have survived of the different species of humanity from the flood, and the fear of you and the dread of you should be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, on all, and on all the fish of the sea. Excuse me, they are given into your hand. So now, the all of creation is given um, is given sub, subservience to is being subjugated to humanity meaning here that this couldn't possibly be the same chapter one creation, like I just said before, because they were already given commands uh, in chapter one of Genesis, just a few chapters ago to rule over all those things. And we know humans do not rule over all those things uh, or terrorize even all those things as terrible as people are. Uh, And so even either way, why would that command be need to be given again if it's already been given to humanity? Uh, moving on, every morning th- every moving thing excuse me that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things even as the green herbs. So this is the first introduction of another change like I guess it's not the first so this is another change to the food laws. The first so-called food laws or commands that God gives humanity to live by as far as what's forbidden and what's acceptable to eat um, were a vegetarian diet It was a very vegetarian diet by modern uh, expression, be vegetarian, told to eat every green herb. That was in chapter one, very beginning of the Bible. So now you're here already by chapter nine, you see a change in that. So people who thump their Bible and say, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they believe that this is God speaking throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Then why is God changing? There's a change right there. Now suddenly a carnivorous or omnivorous uh, diet is being introduced where you're actually allowed to eat anything that moves. So then that means that you know the whole religion of not eating pork and all of that, that ignores all the commands not to also, also not to eat shellfish like lobster and shrimp. are, are They come up later in the Bible. So it lets you know, yet again, people will say anything doesn't make it true. It, it's contradicted even by itself. The Old Testament is, and some of the New Testament too. That's why I always say, if you're a Christian, what Christ says out of the sixty-plus books in the Bible, he only has six books where anything's quote are as attributed as being anything attributed to being a quote of his is uh, even written in those six books out of the sixty-plus books. So, if you're a Christian, it seems to me that be your starting point. Uh, more likely you're measuring stick For what it is you're supposed to uh, Use as your Guide to your spiritual Walk but you know that's just Me and red litter Christianity It's the like heart of it Anyway so you see there's a change There you were first told evergreen herb now you're we're being Told if you believe this is God Speaking that no okay now you can Eat evergreen herb but now anything that moves You can eat so that's Seems to me to also be uh, pointing to the fact that it's probably the introduction of eating meat that was so abhorrent to God. If you, as far as the the, the um, actions that were being taken that brought on the flood, because up until then they were supposed to only be eating the herbs, but more than likely they were killing and eating the animals also, and the animals were eating even eating each other because the animals also were given the command only eat. Uh, the green herbs, not each other. So uh, it changed. But you shall not eat flesh while it's, with its life; that is, its blood. So here it be in modern terms. People would take this to mean you can't eat rare meat, for instance, a rare steak that has its blood in it. Um, you know, some meat tastes better the less uh, you cook it, uh, but at the same time that could be what it's talking about but um and i mean that's what would make sense so but it seems to me it could also be pointing to things like shellfish like a lobster that you have to actually kill and eat it like right then otherwise it goes bad like pretty fast um so then that maybe that that's just too cruel um to for uh, the creator to see it the creation doing that to each other? I don't know. But you see, this is the point is, this is the change to the original and initial order of what are so-called food laws of what's acceptable to eat in God's eyes. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. So yet another change. We saw Just a few chapters ago, when Cain killed his brother Abel, whether you want to call it murder or uh, a crime of passion, like just in the moment, whatever you want to call it, however it happened, Cain was afraid that people would seek his life for the life he took. And if you want to believe it's God, God told him then that don't worry about that. I'm going to basically protect you. I got your back. And anybody who comes after you, I'm going to go after them. So basically letting us know, and I'm paraphrasing, you can look back, it's just a few chapters ago and see um, what was said. If you want to see it, and you can see that um, that's basically letting us know in God's eyes the death penalty is not for us to be giving. And yet you see here just a few chapters later. Now it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's uh, blood for blood. Suddenly, by the same one, if you want to say this is God speaking. So, you can't possibly still say God is still the same every day and doesn't change. You see yet another change and huge changes at that. So, but before we keep moving on, you can see that most likely these things, well, you can see these things don't, they contradict each other. They don't make sense for it to be coming from an all knowing, omnipotent, all seeing God who knows the beginning, knows the end from the beginning why in the world would you need to change anything? It seems to me you would know already from the start what it is you're gonna find abhorrent and, uh, and and disgusting or abominable or whatever the case may be and just simply lay that out and let that stay the same so that it doesn't change from generation to generation or from people to people, whatever the case may be. And yet you see that's not what happens here. And Just before we move on, so you understand what I think happens here as far as the narrative itself if you if you're an adult, you can go to my website. It's hungtgirl.com, and you can see the documentary there on the page uh, on the left with the link on the left that says "Soul" uh, that talks about the naked truth and what we do here. You can see the PBS special that talks about Noah's Ark and the special and it, the documentary done there and different evidences they found and research that um, seems to me points to. A, uh, merging of two different, um, at least two different narratives of the flood and the events that led up to it. And it seems to me the conflation came in the period according to the documentaries, not just the PBS one, but others that um, most likely that happened when the Israelites of the Old Testament were carried away into slavery. They kept records of what happened to them as far as their history, but when you're under someone else's rule, or even your own rule and your own government can be oppressive and change what it is, what the narrative actually is, then it's believed that that's where some of the early parts of the Bible in Genesis and other changes throughout stepped in, and that the whole story as we know it, as far as the Israelites and stuff, that really begins in uh, its history with um, some of the later uh, patriarchs that come up, not so much Adam and Eve, um, but a little later on down the line. But that's a whole nother story, but that's sorta, of, I think it makes sense as to why God would be changing minds twice now in major ways in the same book at the beginning of the Bible. But just food for thought, moving on. Whoever sheds man's blood, By man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. So now you see here, like I said just earlier, apparently now um, revenge killing is okay, according to the God speaking here, if you want to believe this is God, which again contradicts what was said after Cain took Abel's life. And God here, just in case you're curious, is translated as Elohim, not uh, Jehovah, as it's translated when it says Lord in some places, just as, so you know, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So the command is given to them to um, procreate. Then God spoke to Noah and his, to his sons with him saying, so now a message for uh, the survivors of the flood specifically. And as for me, behold, I established my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So this is probably one of the first mentionings of a covenant, um, basically an agreement, a contract. That's what that is with um, um, God and humanity. Excuse me for that. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle and every beast of the earth with you of all that go out of the ark of every beast of the earth. So it's like God saying here, I'm going to make a promise to you and all that lives, all that is. Here's my um, covenant with you, my promise to you. Thus, I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So, uh, like I said, when we read it last time about the promise of the seasons, as, as long as the earth remains and all that, and climate change deniers uh, leaning on that as proof that all of that, uh, that God's going to just let people continue to pollute and destroy the earth as long as there's time. But um, that's not what it says at all. It actually says that the earth the world, which God loves, it seems to me, as we understand it, will remain. Um, people may not, though. Humanity may be gone, but the world itself, the people, may actually survive it. And that doesn't mean um, that doesn't mean everything's just going to be a wrap and it's suddenly going to be desolate, desolate, like the moon. It may get to that point, uh, but what it does mean is that whatever happens with um, with people, the Earth will still be there. And God doesn't intend to destroy the earth, not the people on it, the earth with the flood or all flesh, meaning the creation that God went through the uh, heart of creating. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. So here's one of the first instances of a perpetual covenant. And it's going to happen again and again throughout the Old Testament. And it's probably why people who modern people who think that they can hold on to the old testament, the old wine, and also call, say they're Christians and live by also the New Testament, find themselves with contradictions. It's because you cannot. They're two different. It's like old wine and new wine. You can't put the two together as one of them is gonna be destroyed, if not both. Um, just like Jesus says in the parables. So here's an instance of it where it's a forever covenant that um, between God and humanity. And here's what the covenant is. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So not between all that is, but specifically between God and the earth, the covenant, the wedding ring, the contract uh, between both parties is signified by the rainbow. That's the biblical explanation of why we see rainbows. Of course, we know what science tells us, the mechanism of how rainbows happen, as far as light and the prisms and passing through water and all of that. Um, Here's the biblical uh, mechanism of the rain or meaning of the rainbow. It shall be when I bring a cloud over, and I mention that just because science, although people like to say disagrees with the Bible, sometimes it does, it absolutely does. So does history sometimes. But a lot of times different sources don't agree. But also besides that, um, it, the Bible isn't attempting to give you the mechanisms of it, just letting you know that the events of it, sort of like how science will lean on the Big Bang. The Bi- Bible doesn't say the Big Bang didn't happen. and The Bible doesn't say that the earth is only a few thousand years old. People cook up religion to preach that and teach that and confuse people. But that's not actually what the Bible says, uh, just so you keep it in mind. So now um, it should be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. So uh, it's reiterating that the point of the rainbow is to remind us of the covenant that God made through with humanity. I guess that no matter how much rain you may get, how much flooding you may see. At least it won't be a flood to destroy all that is. Now remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So make sure you notice that it says all flesh. So just like back then with Noah's time, it didn't actually kill all flesh. It just killed a whole lot of people, a mass extinction event, as we talked about. So it's letting us know, okay, it may even get that bad again. Uh, but it won't be all flesh. Some people will still survive it. And we see things like tsunamis still happen and sweep away sometimes thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So it's almost like God saying, I want to use that rainbow to remind me, whether you remember it or not, whether you accept it or not, I'm going to remember it for my sake that that's the covenant that I have with you, that I won't destroy you with the flood again. Although that doesn't exclude using other means of destruction like human to human destruction, which it seems to be the most popular way. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, which I have made, established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So um, letting Noah know here, Again, for us, that that's the point of the rainbow—to acknowledge the covenant and remind God. Uh, maybe not remind, but um, to yeah, remind to remind God that hey, you, you said you are going to destroy all flesh with the waters again. I guess God may get tempted to do that sometimes. Now, the sons of Noah went out of the ark. Now, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. So now we're gonna get into genealogies. If we get into those, I'm gonna just keep reading, but so, and just stop at the names that stand out to me. Um, So these that stand out are Noah and his three sons. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the whole earth was populated. So it's telling us, according to this narrative, no one else existed in the world, except for the people who survived the, the great flood, the one that Noah survived. And Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. So it went from um, them repopulating the world to Noah going on about his business being a farmer. Interesting. And he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. This is the first instance of someone getting drunk in the Bible anyway, having too much to drink and getting drunk. And notice that him being too drunk It doesn't get called out as something wrong or wicked or evil like it does now in modern times. But let's read what happens when he gets when he got drunk, he got naked in his tent. So we know here that it's um, not talking about anything to do with his wife and uncovering her nakedness, as some preachers will try and use later teachings and later uh, books of the Bible and standards of uh, standards of times, mores of the times that came later and trying to apply them to this uncovering thing. To me, you have to keep it simple. And it simply says he got drunk and got naked, basically got uncovered in his tent. No mention of what's happening with his spouse. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So again, nothing about the wife. I say that because some preachers will twist this to say Because it says later on in the Bible that uncovering your father's nakedness means that you're basically having an incestuous relationship with your father's wife. That doesn't mean it's necessarily your mama. It could be one of your father's mini wives. It could be one of your father's side pieces, concubines. It could be any of those things and still be considered that same group of offenses. Uh, But those don't happen till later, just like the Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. So it's not clear why being drunk should be condemned at this point, or him getting naked after he gets drunk at being condemned at this point, or him seeing his father's nakedness. And if that's all it plain and simple says, it doesn't say anything about that, uh, molestation, incestation, incestuous any of that. None of that doesn't imply any of that. She's not even mentioned. And so you see here what actually happened according to the narrative. Someone got drunk, got naked. One of his sons saw him naked and told his brothers outside. That's all it says. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid, laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So let's, just again, people will try and infer that seeing your father's nakedness means this, that, and the other. It made it clear, she, like I said before, she's not a part of it. It's the fact that they're seeing him naked for some reason is something that's considered, I guess, highly offensive. Um, it's not real clear why. There's been no command not to do such things. Um, And it seems to me the bigger offense would be the fact that he's drunk and passed out and you're not trying to help him and get him together rather than mock him for getting naked and drunk. But whatever the case may be, religion will use this whole incident to twist it into lots of other things, but let's keep reading it. What happened? So, so far one brother of the three saw their father drunk and naked. He went and told his brothers about it who were outside and rather than um, And it doesn't even say he laughed at it or he clowned him for it or touched him, tried to molest him, anything like that. It just says he saw his father naked and the two brothers now, rather than see their father naked, so either he was disgustingly nasty to look at when he's naked, so they just didn't want to see it, or out of respect, they were just like, well, it's our dad, we don't want to see his naked body, no thanks. Uh, Whatever the case may be, it's not sure why this is so monumental, but... What happens next is in verse 24, so Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. So this is sort of was say. Suddenly his younger son had done something to him. It doesn't say what he did to him other than just see him naked, which again, it doesn't make any sense why that would be considered such a high offense, um, especially when it's he's the one who drank too much Whatever the case may be, like I said before, this gets twisted to mean lots of different things by different religions. Let's keep reading what it says. Then he said, "Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. So people will try and twist this to say that it's all. Uh, they'll try to say that either he saw his father naked and molested him or the whole thing about it, he saw his father, senior father's nakedness means he had went in and had sex with his mama. Doesn't say any of that. It says what happened and doesn't say why it's so offensive to him or what it is that he believes have been done to him. It's not like he slipped him a roofie, unless that's what's not written, because again, things get edited over time. So it's possible that he saw him naked and did something. It doesn't say that at all though. And doesn't seem and if he had done something, it seems to me the brothers more than just cover up their naked father, would have reacted some sort of way. So all those other narratives just don't make sense if you go by what's written. And then the next thing that didn't make sense was in chapter 25. Why is the curse falling on Canaan and not on the one who actually did it? Why is he cursing his grandson rather than um, and, um, rather than Ham? Why is he cursing Canaan, his grandson, instead? Uh, it makes no sense. Um, it makes no sense. Why are you, most people when they have grandkids love them? It seems even more than they love their own kids, but um, I don't know. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So again, he's on Canaan's back for some reason, his grandson, Canaan. And that's, some people will say this. he's on his back because Canaan is the product of his father Ham having sex with the wife, and that's where really the uncovering and covering, uncovering his as father's as nakedness means. All of that is just uh, speculation because it doesn't say any of that. And if the worst thing he can do is after he finds out his wife has had sex with one of his sons, presumably her own child, uh, but it's not clear because from the time of Noah and the flood uh, till this point. It's not clear if Noah married a woman who was, uh, the woman who's identified as Noah's wife is also the mother of his three sons. It doesn't say that at all. They may be from three different women. It doesn't say it at all. So you can't infer or assume that all of these people are homogenous, look alike, or are from the same place. You just can't. I mean, you can, but you'd be wrong too. There's plenty of room for diversity among just the people eight people listed so far. Um, but now we've moved on because he's, already, he's talking about Canaan, so obviously the grandson has already been born. May God enlarge Japheth and may he dwell in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be his servant. So again, he's on Canaan's back, the grandson, rather than the son who actually saw him naked, that he finds so offensive, it doesn't really make sense. Maybe he's drunk again. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So we went over the whole idea of people living that long back then and telomeres and all that. So I won't get into that again. Um, so all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. So just in case you hadn't heard that reading or saw that reading when we did it, you could see the this reading on my site on from the soul page in the archives. You can see the naked truth of past readings and stuff and see but if you can see it on your for yourself if you want if you search telomeres you can see what we we're <clears throat> excuse me the information out there that exists that believe that believes that the unwinding of the ends of your DNA of the your, the D, of the chromosomes excuse me Um, is what somehow also is like a ticking clock of how long someone will live so that presumably if you can prolong that or delay that or maybe even lengthen that, people can also live longer. But that's something if you want to search it on your own, you can see. But that ends this reading. I appreciate you checking it out with me and hope you'll join me again. It's, we do Old Testament readings now on Mondays and Wednesdays and we focus on the gospel and those are at random times and we focus I have to update the site sorry for that and we um also do random uh, those are random times and then Sunday mornings early Sunday morning late Saturday night around 12 15 in the morning we do our gospel readings and like I went over earlier The gospel consists of just those four books of what Jesus had to say. The rest of the Bible is not what Jesus had to say. So uh, remember that in your Christian walk would be my recommendation. You can join me for those, or you can see past readings on my site um, on If you're an adult, you can also find out more, more about me. If you're interested in that with the links on the left body, mind, spirit, and soul, I put it out there for you to find out if you're interested. And, um, You can help with the cause if you like. Make a donation, get a membership, or just enjoy the free content. All of the above are very much appreciated. Stay safe. God bless you and peace to you again. Thanks again. I'll see you next time.